Hi, welcome to Cinemazing Chats. I'm here with my co-anchor, <laughs> Erica. Hi. And today we're doing a very special episode because we also have on the line here our friend, Dr. Rachel, who is a doctor in biology. Hi, everybody. I'm Rachel. Thanks for having me. This is the greatest guest host that I've ever done and truly the greatest tickle my pickle has ever received. Of course. <laughs> Happy to have you. So uh, we're here to talk about the 1993 coming of age film, The Sandlot. Um, and I've seen this movie a bunch of times growing up, but uh, I believe, Rachel, it was your first time watching this? Well, okay, spoiler alert. We were watching this, or you all had invited me to watch this with you, because we thought that I had never seen it before. But I must confess that right before we were watching it, I was reading the Wikipedia page about it, and there was one scene where I was like, oh, I actually remember this. I have seen this film before. <laughs> okay. Phew. <laughs> And it's a scene I'm sure that we'll it's a scene a scene I'm sure that we'll discuss in depth. Okay, I think I know the one you mean. Uh, yeah, some of the stuff in this movie hasn't aged that well, but generally it's just kind of like one of these sports movies that were really popular in the '90s. Um, I think after like the Mighty Ducks, and they're probably trying to be like the Bad News Bears. Uh, so they made this. They made uh, was it the Big Green that also starred one of the kids in this movie? That's the soccer one. Yeah, and just a bunch of other, um, you know, like the Christmas story, other types of movies about kids hanging out and like nostalgia and all that. Well, anyway, um, since I guess you hadn't remembered seeing this movie before, what'd you think about it this time, generally? This time I was unimpressed. The big takeaways that I got were, I don't remember being 12, so I don't know how accurate this was to a 12-year-old's experience. And that also this felt like a very forced multi-generational nostalgia experiment like it's set in the nine well it's made in the 90s it's set in the 60s and you know it goes back and forth in time with this adult reflecting back on being a child in the 60s and being super nostalgic for that but even as he's a child in the 60s everybody in that time period is nostalgic for the 1920s right for the Yankees of Murderer's Row, his dad's really hung up on them. Everybody wants these signed baseballs. Like, <laughs> and it's just not... Balls a, are huge. Not a nostalgia that I can get into in any way. It's not accessible to me. Mm. Okay, I just want to say, I, for, I first... I went through the process of thinking like, oh, this is just a silly movie with no depth at all and then now i think i've analyzed it so much and i'm like holy shit this is, this art. is like actually deep <laughs> without meaning to be because i realized okay it's actually like bending time or something i don't know it's basically like the sing it's kind of the singularity because yeah so it's everything is 30 years apart it's th 1932 it has babe ruth's greatest sports moment uh, 1962 is when this takes place 30 years later and then presumably since this was released in April of 1993 it was filmed in 1992 so it's all 30 years <laughs> apart <laughs> and in the intro I will just say in the intro um, in like the Sandlot logo there are three planks in the fence and I'm like oh my god it's the it's three converging timelines <laughs> I should have called this movie timelines <laughs> 
Um, I will say this movie kind of goes along with like other navel gazing, like baby boomer movies of that era, like Back to the Future was like 1989 or something like that, uh, or Forrest Gump. It's just like people not only looking back to their childhoods, but maybe actually thinking about their parents' childhoods in some weird way. So yeah, I can definitely see that argument, and it is pretty weird. It's kind of like propaganda or something. Do you think that there are any movies coming out right now that are nostalgic for the, the 90s, 90s, in which characters are nostalgic <laughs> oh. for the 60s? Well, not really exactly that, but Dazed and Confused, a film made in the 90s, was all about the 60s, I think, or maybe the 80s, I don't know. Well, yeah, the 90s had a revival of, like, the smiley faces and the peace signs. It was like... 90s hippie revival or something i guess maybe this is all about vietnam like either before or after vietnam and just trying to like write around it <laughs> or maybe that's too deep yeah i think both of you all are going deeper than this movie deserves which i do <laughs> love <laughs> right i mean i think when you look at the movie at its face it's definitely trying to recapture that like little rascals like we're the misfits uh, they even have that whole scene where they take on, like, the proper baseball team and they're, like, kicking their butts because they, I guess, know the fundamentals better or something. Um, but, yeah, just looking at this uh, director's filmography, uh, some of the other movies he made, um, he apparently also made Sandlot 2, which I didn't even know there was a sequel. Uh, he made Ed, First Kid, and then the third and the fourth Beethoven movie, which I think is pretty silly. Uh, and then most recently he made Ace Ventura Jr., Pet Detective, so <laughs> clearly he's got a very specific feel, maybe. Middle of the road, just make people feel good thing. <laughs> oh gosh. Wait, so yeah, is he? I guess he's known for like Americana or something. I don't know. But yeah, I can't really say much about the actual craft in this film. Uh, I mean, it's pretty basic. It's just like a lot of antics. Um, pretty uh i think the kid actors are all pretty good even though like i think we counted like three or four of them that literally have nothing to do and are just kind of there standing around the whole time well they have to have enough to make a baseball team i guess right even though they don't play against each other they're a single team <laughs> oh my god i never thought of that that makes no sense yeah, I wrote down the names of the children to try to keep track of them. And I can't name a single characteristic for at least half of them. Mm. So I, I wrote down the name Squints, who presumably has glasses. Ham, oh. is that the red-headed one? Mm -hmm. I don't know. His um, name's Hamilton. Benny. Benny, who's sort of the, the baseball hero. Mm -hmm. We got Yaya, who I have no idea who that is. Timmy and Tommy, whose characteristic is they're similar to each other. They're like twins or something? I think so. We have Betram. Who knows who that is? He's the guy who at the end, uh, this is my favorite part of the whole movie. <laughs> so at the end, they do like an Animal House postscript of like, here's what these people are doing now. And that one was like, Bertram went to Vietnam and then he got really deep into the 60s and no one ever heard from him again. Well, there you go. There's their call out to <laughs> Vietnam, Pablo. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Wait, no, you're mixing okay. yeah. Okay, I, I transcribed That's all my favorite of it. You're mixing yeah, yeah, and Bertram. Yeah, yeah, got shipped off to military school, and Bertram just straight Acid up got face. into the school, <laughs> and they never heard from him again. Great. <laughs> but he also had glasses, so I don't know why he hmm. wasn't called Squints. And then apparently, Tommy had the nickname of Repeat, so it was Timmy and Tommy Repeat Timmons. 
and I didn't ever catch that his in the name movie. Was, I just see that his now. His name was the, Timmy Timmons. The credits. <laughs> Repeat. Yes. Because he always repeated everything. Um. <laughs> yeah, he re- he's the repeater. I don't remember that happening. <laughs> so yeah, they tried to give him these unique characteristics, but it didn't. It didn't land with me. If there was something I was supposed to remember. It didn't work. Yeah. It's like Snow White, where they all have just, like, one characteristic, like, dopey, <laughs> smelly. Oh, yeah, Ham was probably a uh, fat-shaming thing. Oh, yeah, for sure. So that didn't age well, I guess. <laughs> so this movie's kind of funny, because it's all about, like, a year, basically, like, this lonely, smart kid or something. <laughs> but then, uh, it basically almost shows how sports are the path to manhood or something like that, or to having community or being accepted with other men, other boys by your father, who in this case is played by Dennis Leary, (laughs) the stepfather of the kid. The stepdad, yeah. So it's extra awkward for some reason. And we all thought that there was a real, like, sports cult feel to the movie, uh, because not only does the father have an entire, like... Trophy case? Trophy case. (laughs) Thank you. But then later at the end of the film, uh, James Earl Jones also has, like, a whole house that's decked out with, like, baseball memorabilia but in that case it actually makes sense since he played it wait it wasn't a, it was more than a case it was a whole room with multiple cases so it was like extra weird <laughs> well i mean the Bill, dennis leary or whatever had a room where he would just stand alone in the <laughs> bedroom and worship his trophies yeah okay wait, i just want to say about the kids sorry about the kid casting i just realized so yeah so there's nine people on a baseball team and then the 30-year thing, it's like 333. That's nine. <laughs> I can't get over the numerology it's of it. 23 all over <laughs> again. <laughs> it's a fellowship of nine baseball players. Oh, my God. It's actually kind of funny because at first the kids don't want to accept uh, the nerd at all. Uh, but then Benny points out that they need him to make a full team. And that's basically why he's allowed to play, even though he like totally sucks at everything. Uh, oh yeah so i think that he mentions they're supposed he came in at two weeks before fifth grade ended so he's supposed the narrator guy is supposed to be a fifth grader oh man and i guess presumably they're all plus or minus a few years oh but i hated that i had to do that a bunch when i was growing up like coming in in the middle of the year or towards the end of the year it's just terrible because everyone was already friends Yeah, so he was just nerd trying to nerd out in his room with his erector set. His erection and his set. mom was like, you better make friends. <laughs> oh. I wonder if his mom regrets her decision now, now that his life centers around baseball, instead of, say, engineering. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> but probably not, given that she married Bill, who has a trophy room, and spends time <laughs> in there seemed like a loser. Just dusting his trophies instead of hanging out with her son. <laughs> But I also thought at the end, it was one of those weird things where, like, you can't imagine what this kid's life was between, like, when he was a kid and now he's, like, fully grown adult. Like, you can't imagine what that inner life might have been like. It just seems like he's kind of the exact same character, except, like, in a weird adult body now. Like, at the end, it doesn't seem like he's some, like, fully developed, complex adult. He's just like, I'm still that same kid wearing my dad's cap that fits now and calling out sports stuff. Right, and I'm still admiring Benny, the true hero of this movie. (laughs) I'm clearly in love with Benny. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my god. Well, I just want to say I realized that with all the descriptions of the kids too, I was like, why are they picking these in these stories for them or whatever? And I realized like it's 
Most of them were supposed to be jokes about um, the physical characteristics. Their single defining feature that they had as a child. So it said like after the army, yeah, yeah, became one of the developers of bungee jumping and he says of course we all know why because that was the kid who jumped down off the treehouse right. um so it's just like everyone has like one defining characteristic basically <laughs> that's how deep you can go in this movie yeah that's interesting that they would go to the trouble of like really tying together all of those loose ends for every single character be like here's their trait and here's the outcome for them and they really explain a lot of things to you over the course of the film which for me made it so odd that they were like, um, Benny said that something, what, what the fuck was it? Something about Hercules, I'm bugling this. I'm, I'm missing the, the setup here. But eventually they're like, and it turned out that the dog's name was Hercules, which was something that Benny had said about Babe Ruth. Oh. And we could never figure oh. out what that coincidence meant. I was like, you know, you couldn't figure <laughs> out... You couldn't figure that out? (laughs) Or you couldn't have written something to explain what that coincidence meant? Like, when this whole film was, like, tied into very neat bows? Is that a coincidence? (laughs) Isn't it just the owner, like, worked alongside Babe Ruth? Yeah, the owner named him after (laughs) Babe Ruth. Nobody could possibly figure out what it meant. (laughs) It was also kind of funny... Because I remember when I was watching this movie as a kid, I was kind of like the the main character. Like when they're saying all the nicknames, the Big Bambino, the Sultan of Swing. I'm like, I don't know who they're talking about either. Because <laughs> I was, I didn't know yeah, either. I, I felt like the nerd kid. <laughs> he was like, wait, the Bambino guy was Babe Ruth. The Babe Ruth is a baseball player. Is <laughs> <Like as> a man? <laughs> Some babe named <laughs> Ruth. <laughs> I thought this was a candy bar. <laughs> So it's also kind of funny. You were mentioning that Erector set scene, um, and that's where they introduced the mom character, who up to now was like, does this kid have a mom? <laughs> and then it uh, <laughs> turned out to be Carrie Allen from Superman and um, Indiana Jones. But it's kind of weird because uh, even though she's a woman, she's also being really careful to like reinforce the patriarchy and be like, uh, she basically says to her son, sorry you failed in your boy test to go like hang out with the other baseball playing boys oh yeah i just want to say about the mom and the family situation so how did okay and his dad died when he was a little kid Mm. so how did his mom meet bill and then bill's living in some how far away are they like did they just i don't know this whole premise of just like she's like a single mom in the 60s and then marries some guy for a year and then moves in 60s version of tinder (laughs) Uh, i don't know maybe like a friend of a friend or something (laughs) Yeah, I guess so. They're just an arrangement, I guess. Well, I had assumed that um, that they had been cohabitating for that year, and that then mm. they had moved potentially for you know Bill's job or whatever. Oh yeah, that makes sense. That's right. He was always stressed out and working. Yeah, he was young, hot, dusting his trophies, <laughs> and like doing doing filing his paperwork at the kitchen table. Too busy to yeah. teach <laughs> to teach Smalls how to play catch too cool for school <laughs> but it is funny it just seems like he is only in the relationship for the mother and then the kid's just a burden that he does yeah he doesn't want to teach to catch right which is like made more disturbing by the fact that they've been living together in the same house for over a year and he's, they still can't speak to each other and like if i were the mom i wouldn't even be considering getting married to bill as hot as he is if he can't you know maintain some rapport with my child Right. He's like, I'm not here for the kid. I'm here to bone your mother (laughs) or something. It is that awkward dynamic or something where it's like, oh, I you're not a man because you're not 
boning some lady or something. I don't know. Oh, wow. Well. Yep. Dennis Larry has to teach his son how to <laughs> do man stuff. Yep, how to bone down. <laughs> so then he immediately, uh, he is teaching him how to play catch, and he immediately throws him a curveball and hits him in the eye. A curveball literally and figuratively. <laughs> so he has, like, a black eye. Oh, my God. That's right. He... Basically, this is what I was wondering is, um, okay, so this guy, the kid is narrating this movie as an adult, so he could easily be an unreliable narrator. And I'm like, okay, did your stepdad throw a ball at you or did he hit you? Mm. That's a good point. (laughs) Wow, I hadn't considered that this entire movie might just be a fever dream (laughs) in this guy's mind. It's his fractured memories. He's just high on acid in the baseball commentating <laughs> box. He looks He's over. like, yeah, remember this summer? Yeah, he sees a photo of children. <laughs> 1969, like, actually. Yes, I was there. <laughs> He's talking to, like, other passed out people on the floor. He's like, and you were there, and you were there. Oh, my God. Well, I will say, so this kid's shirts are quite stylish. So when he, go- when he goes to introduce himself to the other boys, that should at least get him some cred. Um but then it's also funny, after that, Benny keeps, like, popping by and being like, hey, you can join. We have, I have this extra ball, or have this extra baseball glove, or have this extra cap, or whatever it is. So we're just like, does he just walk around all day carrying these items in case somebody needs them? He's Johnny Baseball Hands. He has very deep pockets. Extremely deep pockets. Yeah, he was miraculous <laughs> with the stuff that he was pulling out of his pockets all the time, which made it more amazing that he never had any spare baseballs. <laughs> Right, because the whole plot hinges on somehow they only have one ball or something. They only ever have one ball. Yeah, it's a continuous problem, and they have to go down to, like, the... I, is that the Vincent's Drugstore or whatever? They have to buy ball baseballs all the time. Oh, yeah. They should just steal it. It's the 60s. They'll get away with it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, so Benny's the only nice one, actually. All the other kids are just, like, Jerks. beta cucks or something. Just, like, if Benny likes you, then they'll follow <laughs> I don't know if I follow that labeling, but... <laughs> Well, so the kid from I take it back. The kid from the Big Green is basically Cartman. He's like proto Cartman, except he doesn't curse. He's just like the exact same personality. And then Squints. Maybe we should just talk about this part here. But he's like a full on sexual assaulter. <laughs> so that ends up not being cool. That's his whole um, personality trait. That's his defining trait. Is <laughs> creeper. Yeah. Let's actually sidetrack here for a minute to talk about Wendy Peppercorn and that whole. <laughs> off-putting scenario so this is something that in the 90s probably shouldn't even have flown but i guess everyone was fine with it at the time apparently um everyone was fine with this at the time it should potentially come as no surprise to you that this is in fact the scene that i remembered when i was reading the wikipedia page i read the depiction of the prepubescent boy assaulting the grown woman and i was like oh i have seen this film and that's pretty much all i remembered from this film so, Do you happen to remember how you felt about it at the time? I think disturbed, but not as disturbed as I am now. Right. So just in case you haven't seen this film, whoever's listening <laughs> and just want to get spoiled, um, they go to the community pool and there's, a, a guess, supposed to be a hot uh, a lifeguard, but this kid has a crush on her, even though there's like a 10-year age difference. Uh, and he just pretends to drown to make her, like, save him and give him mouth-to-mouth resuscitation, which is bad enough. But then at the end of it, he, like, grabs her head and, like, makes her make out with him, basically. And the whole situation's really disturbing, again, from our current perspective. 
Right. And the narrator says, you know, some lip service to like, it was a rotten thing to do. It was a low down thing to do. But we all said good job. But we all, yeah, but we all loved it. And we were all extra horny for it. Like, he, he got his tongue into a woman's mouth by hook or by Ugh. crook. Oh, and then at the end of the movie, they try to make it okay again, too, by doing a whole Anakin and Padme thing and being like, later they got married. Like they're, they got and married had like that. 11 kids. So that makes it okay. And they they bought Vincent's drugstore. So Uh-oh. they just like stayed in the town, Ooh. the same town where they grew up and um, just had a baji- bajillion kids to send them out into the world to go assault everyone else. I don't know. <laughs> but we should also mention, so this is like fifth grade. So I think we were kind of thinking or agreeing maybe that this is like prepubescent. Like I don't think they're actually supposed to be like horny. They're just like having crushes or whatever. Because if they were, they wouldn't be playing fucking baseball. <laughs> Well, I oh think so, but, like, Wendy is pretty clearly depicted as a sex object. Like, Oh, she's, like, a high schooler, at least. There's, like, a, a shot that I remember distinctly, which is just her ass in the frame, and that's it. Like, her walking down the street, and it swings back and forth for a couple of seconds, which is, like, pretty distinctly sexual. And I think raised the question for me about, you know, who's the target audience here? And to me, that you know, having somebody who is supposed to be a high schooler but looks about 30 <laughs> have their ass be framed on the screen seems like that's a, a sexual target of an adult man. Yeah. So it seems like they're trying to get both boy audience and nostalgic adult man audience. Right. I think that that's a bit of a tell on this David Mickey <laughs> yeah, let's look into guy, to personal. be honest. Like, he's inserting his own nasty... <laughs> thoughts because oh, yeah like, in the oh, 60s when we all movie. sexually whatever people <laughs> yeah he's like i'm into baseball and nostalgia and ass i don't know yeah I, it's yeah there's a whole bunch of disturbing stuff there <laughs> like it, i wrote down there's a scene where you know wendy's on the lifeguard chair and she's rubbing herself with suntan lotion or something and there's a discussion among the boys like basically is she putting on a show for us like can a can a woman exist in public? And the, and the answer is no. A woman cannot exist in public. They're like she can't. She must be doing this like for us, like to titillate us. Yeah, I mean the whole scene is basically objectif- objectification. Apparently, the Sandlot too actually had. Um, Wendy comes back. Wendy's revenge. Girls. There's a couple girls. Yeah, so they try to do better in the next one. I but that think. one was probably made in like the 2000s or something. Yeah. The humor's my only charitable interpretation of the, the horny lusting scene. <laughs> Here's what I wrote it down. As it shall be known henceforth. <laughs> I, wrote, I wrote this in my notes later. Um you know, we, we that this like horny lusting after this adult woman is obviously for the man audience, and maybe she's an adult so that this man audience can like look back on and be nostalgic about their horny prepubescent years without being nostalgic about like lusting after 12 year olds which they probably were at the time so they we can like they can experience their current sexual frustrations or whatever without projecting them onto 12 year olds or put more charitably it would be really tough i think to get away with showing a 12 year old as an object of desire or as a sex object even if the desirer is also 12. Unless you're making Lolita. (laughs) 
um yeah no i definitely see that um i think hollywood does that all along like every time you do a high school movie it's always like 20 year olds or 20 plus instead of the actual like very young looking thing that you might actually see in real life yeah it's like that that is the most charitable way to interpret but i do also think it's strange you said this when we were watching the movie that um why isn't this kid lusting for or whatever uh another fifth grader another sixth grader someone like his own age not like this older sex object essentially it's very strange right and i think they could have threaded that needle by you know instead of being like oh squints has a boner or needs to make out with this person you know like i think little rascals which has a similar ensemble cast has like boyfriend girlfriend dynamics in it without them being sexual dynamics Mm-hmm. so they could have right. had him like oh i want to like hold this person's hand or i want to ask them out on a date you don't have to zoom into their ass <laughs> yeah i think the little rascals <laughs> are supposed to be a little bit younger too though but uh yeah i take your point oh i also uh it's important to establish the pickle <laughs> right <laughs> from the beginning so actually i didn't realize so... what this was but then i realized <laughs> i didn't know what this was. i actually have done this before uh back when i used to play baseball in like fifth grade or sixth grade myself but that was like on an actual team okay so you have somebody who just hit a ball in between two bases um so they're like trying to get safely to a base like say they went past first and then you have the first baseman and the second base person uh throwing the ball back and forth and you're just trying to get the guy like stuck between the two of you so that's what they were trying to do with the dog at the end of the movie uh when benny goes to get the ball spoilers i don't know why it's called pickling Um, that makes no sense (laughs) but yeah they're also i guess think it's like a funny pun to be like oh a pickle is a bad situation so (laughs) it was the biggest pickle dialogue yeah his dialogue in the beginning um is just i don't know it made me laugh he says 30 years later after the 1932 babe ruthing a kid named Benjamin Franklin, Benjamin Bending Rodriguez (laughs) became a neighborhood legend. It was the greatest summer of my life when he taught me how to play baseball and he became my best friend and he got me out of the biggest pickle I'd ever be in. And we played with (laughs) it under the covers. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I will say that when they introduce Benny, he, he walks down the street and then the main Smalls looks at him and waves, and then Benny kind of is like, hmm. So I do feel like they had a chemistry. I, it's not out of the realm of possibility. Well, it's like getting the cool kids' approval or whatever. Yeah, but it could have been more than just a, a friendship approval is what I'm saying. <laughs> He's like, oh, you're looking good over there. But yeah, then also in the first baseball scene they show we see benny doing a pickle or whatever like he's oh, yeah, right yeah. away he's in a they're like it's a pickle he loves pickling people <laughs> so there's just pickling all throughout the <laughs> he loves p- pickling people and dogs yeah they really have to signpost the pickling quite a lot <laughs> which throughout the film because you sort of lose track of the fact that they are gonna be in a pickle right because for the first right. hour or so it's just sort of assorted hijinks it's like, a lot of meandering sort of meandering it's episodic there's just a random <laughs> baseball game against a professional team for some reason objection relevance you know there's a lot of stuff <laughs> that happens so periodically they'd have to remind you like by the way don't forget this film is about being in a pickle the greatest pickle mm-hmm. in fact that i'd ever been in <laughs> that's what they should have called the movie the world's greatest pickle <laughs> honestly the pickle could have just been like getting a black eye or something i don't know that was pretty bad, right? That is a pretty big pickle. I wonder how the dad's going to get out of that yeah. one. 
it's, it's like they must be playing baseball and like having fun or whatever. And then the next scene that I wrote down is just they're in their um, sleepover. Like they're doing a camp out in a treehouse. I also wrote this down. I love this note, but I have no idea what it means. Dog's original complicated plotline got cut. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that means either. Oh, wait, well, why are they... Sp- why are they in the treehouse? Because they're... Is that just because they're all friends, finally? Yeah. Like, he earns Because they're eating s'mores. Stay or whatever. This is the famous, okay. you're... I, th- I could have sworn it's you're shitting me, Smalls, but apparently <laughs> it's you're killing me, Smalls. I guess in my mind, I made it better. You mean I improved the dialogue? Because at the end of the movie, there is one shit where Benny's, like, getting chased by the dog, and he's like, shit. <laughs> but I guess it's like, I don't know. So yeah, they're telling the history of this dog and how it's like eaten every single ball that's been tossed over the field and how it's like was owned by a junkyard owner. Uh, it has a taste for blood because oh. it ate a kid one time. Okay, so that was prompted because one of the kids I, hit the ball over, hit a regular ball over the fence. Mm-hmm. And then they're just like, oh, we can't play anymore because we only have one ball a day. Yeah. <laughs> And so then they're like treehouse, and then someone has a house that's just like right next to the lot, right, which with comes a in handy. Beautiful treehouse in it. It's kind of cool, actually. Yeah. So yeah, this is the whole, uh, also the forever scene where he's like saying, "Then Doc will be there forever," and just like closing up on the black and white flashback mouth <laughs> guy. Yeah, I was talking to um, one of my friends who I guess saw this when he was younger, approximately the target audience, and said that the scenes that made the biggest impression on him were the forever which i guess is famous but i didn't remember it for my first viewing and also the the s'mores assembly scene right because apparently this kid's such a nerd that he doesn't even know what a s'more is or hasn't even heard of it or has no concept of what it could be right which caused me to go down a wikipedia hole to figure out how common were s'mores in the 60s and would somebody have heard of them and my research indicates yes they're common knowledge in a cookbook since at least the 20s 30s 40s well i have to imagine with like um you know hershey bars becoming mass products that's probably when they became really popular like buy a box of graham crackers okay well all this kid cares about is his erector set (laughs) he doesn't eat any s'mores he has no joy in life i guess he's just his stepdad's just standing alone in a room he's just like a super introverted kid (laughs) like today he'd be on the computer probably wait a second This kid's so into engineering, yet, when they're all trying to engineer a solution <laughs> to get the balls out of he the dog yard, they can't come up with anything that will work. Probably because he didn't get enough practice with his erector set, because his mom kicked him out to <laughs> yeah, go play he baseball. Used he could have used some practical mm. skills. Well, it's because that's not actually his one defining feature. Each person is allowed one defining feature, and his is actually being a narrator, as we learn, because that's why he works in the press box or whatever, because he's he's just the narrator. Right. He's not actually good at engineering, I guess. All of his erector sets would just fall apart when he put them together. We also have to imagine when he's, like, getting older, it's not like it's, it's, not like it's the 80s. It's the, I mean, what am I saying? It is the 80s, but it'd still be extremely hard to, like, computer program and do all that stuff. Like, if he was a kid today, he'd probably be great, but just having access to all that stuff back then would have been hard. And he clearly got sidetracked by a youthful uh, dalliance into sports. So this is the scene where they fight the other team. Uh, I wrote down they mastered the art of sliding, which is like they're drifting from Fast and Furious. (laughs) Because each of them knows how to just slide into the base instead of, like, running. 
So the only reason I mentioned that scene is because immediately after that, to celebrate like defeating the real team, they all get a bunch of chewing tobacco and go to a carnival where there's another big set piece, I guess. Oh, wait. And that's uh, where we they're also shown to be delinquents doing drugs. or. Whatever. Yeah, I wrote down it's extremely cool to take drugs at the carnival. <laughs> Right, but then they all unrealistically, I wrote down unrealistically vomit, <laughs> because they sort of, like, make a face like they're vomiting, and then, like, a bucket of something sort of, like, flies behind them, you mm. know? But they're all unrealistically vomiting the same brown-orange substance. It's like an SNL scene. <laughs> they're all just like... And then they they all learned a valuable lesson, which is to stay away from the wacky tobacco, I guess. <laughs> it also felt very Disney, like, uh, what's that movie? Pinocchio, where they all go to the island of Misfit Boys or whatever, and they all smoke and chew tobacco, and they're similarly, like, sick. What's oh, this no, Disney-ass... Too much candy. Indoctrination. <laughs> oh, before we proceed, though, let me go back to what precipitated them playing that game against the rival team, which is a series of escalating insults back and forth <laughs> between Ham and oh, right. whoever that uh, Aryan guy the, was. The other cool kid, the yeah. The other cool kid, <laughs> which escalates into somebody saying, well, the, the deepest insult of all, which is you play ball like you a girl. You play like a girl. <laughs> Pretty which cutting. Obviously, yeah, the worst thing that you could say or be, which leads to them having this this deep rivalry and having to do this game to establish who's, who's a girl and therefore the worst and who is not. It's like a showdown or like a dance-off with baseball. Um, and then doesn't he say something to, like, uh oh maybe that's in a different scene but he's like even my mom knew who babe ruth was a woman i wrote that down (laughs) and the actual line was even a girl knew who babe ruth was so i guess he referred to his mom as a girl which is a little strange but this is very greek or roman he's like well you're not a man so therefore you're like just a little bit above a boy yeah (laughs) it's this hierarchy in his mind he's like I'm a but I'm below my mother because she knows who Babe girls. Ruth is, which makes her a man. <laughs> well, I mean, she's a hairless biped or featherless biped. Excuse and me. She knows who Babe Ruth is. I think is, you watched a different movie, Erica. I think you watched not the Sandlot. Well, I don't remember her having any feathers. I don't remember her being hairless. Erica took a bunch of chewing tobacco at the carnival and imagined the rest of the movie. Well, here's the ranking, from my understanding. We have, you know, girls down here, then there are boys here, mom's somewhere in the mix there, above that, or maybe below that. (laughs) Then we have a man, and then we have Babe Ruth, who is described as being less than a god, but more than a man. (laughs) And then you have Hercules the dog. And then you have Hercules the dog. And then the dog. And then above that, this god. (laughs) Then Kanye is up there, too. Oh, there was also a scene, maybe it was, like, before the baseball scene, where they have, like, 4th of July fireworks, and they all just stop and go, whoa, at the fireworks. I thought that was really cheesy. Yeah, they had some good voiceover or something for that. They're trying to be, uh, yeah, they're like, Murka. I mean, this whole movie, yeah, it is his memories. Just like The one thing that I wrote down for that scene and later scenes is that there are too many scenes where each person has to be shown reacting one after the other like when they're giving their introductions they just have to show like nine people in a row introducing themselves um when squints is assaulting that woman or like when when they think he's (laughs) dead each one has to respond in turn like no come on squints squints you can do this 
Why, squints? Breathe, squints. <laughs> <laughs> Take just me. Cutting from one to the next to the next to the next. Then they do the yeah. same thing with the fireworks scene. Like, everybody's jaw agape face staring at the, <laughs> the sky. Um, Pablo, you mentioned the sliding earlier when they all learned how to slide. It was just one after another after another. I'm like, it's I like can't montage, tell any basically. of these boys apart. So it doesn't matter to me whether they know how to slide or not. Or... At the last part where they're each telling Benny not to do it, not to go into the, the yard with the dog. Each one of them in turn has to be like, Benny, no. And then the next one, like, Benny, wait. Like, Benny, stay with us. <laughs> well, definitely by the last sequence, basically them just making faces and being like, oh, no, what's this dog doing next? <laughs> That's the whole end of the movie. Yeah, I guess like other... Yeah, you mentioned like the Fellowship of the Ring being nine people. Other movies and TV shows avoid this ensemble problem Fast by nine. splitting people off into pairs and making them develop their characters with each other. But this just everyone just one note, and then they all just have one facial reaction point. to everything. God, I would love to see the Fellowship of the Ring done in the style of the Sandlot. Play baseball <laughs> in full costume. Yeah. You have my bat. <laughs> and me, Frodo, went with Benny Gandalf Rodriguez. <laughs> no, no, Benny is Frodo and the other kid's Samwise. Oh, okay, you're right. Sorry. <laughs> so oh, I wrote down one thing about the fireworks scene. I'm just stealing this from Wikipedia because I don't remember this, but apparently that's the scene where the boy realizes that Benny is the one who's going to be gone to be like a legend. The other ones are just in it for like some fun. Oh, yeah, Benny was the only one good enough to be pro. So then it basically just dovetails into like the whole rest of this movie is going to be dominated by this story, which is that first it's like a few occurrences happen. I think the narrative even says it like that. First, Benny knocks uh, like the sleeve that goes over the baseball off, like knocking the cover off is what you call it. Um, so they had to get another ball. So the kid's like, okay, I have a ball. He runs into the house and it's been set up earlier. That's the Babe Ruth ball. He gets the ball and of course hits that over the fence. And then the rest of the movie is them trying to get the ball back from Hercules, the dog even though they could have just asked the owner, Mr. Myrtle, at any time to just help them with it. <laughs> okay, so then, so the first half is basically just generic hijinks, and now it's just hijinks of... A baseball-related... Beats of trying to get over the fence right. and get back out. Yeah. So some slapstick comedy. Right. Well, we all agreed if they had a girl on their team, she could have solved the problem in like two seconds and gone over to... She'd be like, hi, Mr. Myrtle. <laughs> like, Hello there. <laughs> I baked you some cookies or something. Right. Yeah, Mr. Myrtle is set up as this, like, real Boo Radley situation. Like, this weird neighbor that nobody really knows. They know him to be the meanest man. So th so much so that they have a lot of, like, harebrained machinery built up. And instead of trying to talk to him, including exploding vacuums, which seems really hazardous. And they've gone <laughs> to such tremendous lengths to just avoid, like, talking to this talking person. Talking to a human. <laughs> who, I guess, has so much legend built up around him that... They're just terrified. So similar to the dog who initially just appears as like a paw rattling a fence or like a growl and it's just imagined various as Muppets. Mythical beast, yeah. So the same sort of I don't know, fear and cloak of uh terror surrounding Mr. Myrtle so much that they can't talk to him. Well it's also kinda like you have to imagine yourself in that kid mindset and it probably would be scary to just have some like ominous junkyard full of random jagged metal and then this giant mythical dog well yeah i just want to say two things first of all it's like the urban legend trope there's always some kid who has to tell an urban legend mm. and then you just like 
have to believe it or something. I don't know. Yeah. And then also, uh, we could also talk a bit about the class uh, differences in this movie because this guy living in a junkyard is clearly like not in these fancy, same fancy suburban cookie cutter houses that the rest of them are Mm -hmm. in. And then also it seemed like the kid, the Aryan kid or whatever who came and challenged them was on like a fancy baseball team. Like he was probably super rich or something. And I think the main character is probably also supposed to be pretty well off uh, considering his dad has some like fancy job. Yeah, he's always working, so he's rich. So I think that's part of the problem, too. I bet his parents, like, or at least his mom and his former dad were, like, maybe helicopter parents or something. I did want to bring up about, I guess I sent this to you, about the, I was looking into segregation in Los Angeles in the 60s, and supposedly, I don't know, it said, what did it say, by, like, 19, by the 1940s? 95% of Los Angeles and Southern California housing was off limits to certain minorities. So maybe it would have been a little unrealistic for the De Nunez and James Earl Jones and maybe even Benny Rodriguez to be living there. I don't know. Here's a weird thing that always stuck out to me, like this last time I saw it and then seeing it previous times. Didn't it seem like there was a different actor? Like it definitely wasn't James Earl Jones that they showed in the like flashback scene and almost... I almost thought it was like no. some like white actor or something. So then at the end, when you see it's James Earl Jones, it's supposed to be some sort of twist or something. I think they were assuming he was white. Which is also weird. <laughs> but yeah, the whole team is like vaguely like integrated, I guess. Um, they have one black character who doesn't really do anything, but he has like a really good pitch or something. And then Benny himself is Latino. Why was he? Yeah, so the... Um... It was Kenny DeNunez, Kenny the Heater. Why was he called the Heater? I don't think they ever explained it. That That's the one I did not, I that think I that did was, not understand at all. I think it was a baseball thing. Like, you, he can throw a Heater, which might be a specific right. style of pitch. Yeah, yeah, it's just like a really fast pitch. Like a fastball. Oh, so he was a pitcher. It's just, it's hot, I guess. It's going so fast. But then Ham has this other great scene where he's like, uh, they're playing the other team and he keeps like basically insulting the team until they like are unable to hit the ball. Just him like egging people on. I wrote down, uh, there's actually a huge plot hole in this movie. I forget who said it. It might've been Erica. Um, but the dad, Dennis O'Leary, has another ball that he was playing catch with the son earlier in the movie. So the kid could have just found this <laughs> other baseball, presumably. Well, I think the the case of the missing baseball is perhaps the greatest <laughs> plot hole of this film, which is recurring, right? At some point, mm-hmm. they reveal, like, there's 150 baseballs that have fallen into this man's yard and been and accumulated under the doghouse or wherever. And yet, every single day, they only bring one baseball to the field. Like... They never, they never planned for this. Like you haven't learned in 150 times to bring a spare right. ball, and it's especially unusual that like Benny, who's always prepared with you know like an extra fucking glove that he pulls out of his ass or like a spare hat, <laughs> hat. or like whatever he needs is like hidden in his magic pants, and yet these two these yeah, kids like <laughs> have to scrape together bottles and cans to find a, a second ball. It's suspicious. Uh, but I think I just have to, you know, suspend my disbelief on that point because it's the only thing that's driving the greatest pickle that I've ever been in. That's a good point that they really created their own pickle for themselves. Like, this, it didn't have to be this way. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, then the plot just escalates quickly um, and the kids are coming up with all sorts of 
hole based things. Uh, they make like an erector based, like little robot basically. You can throw the ball back. And then they come up with that whole vacuum tube situation that blows up the treehouse. That's actually my favorite line from one of the kids is uh, one of the kids gets left in the treehouse or something and gets exploded. And he comes out and he's like all covered in white dust. And he's just like very stoically says, we've been going about this all wrong. And I don't know, just the way the kid delivers it cracks me up every time. Oh my god, I forgot about the exploding <laughs> treehouse. That's like the most slap. That is that the most slapstick moment? Because they would not mm, be. Okay. Well, no, definitely the ending. No. Well, there's a lot of slapstick. That's, That's slapstick. what I wrote down when there's the the chase scene. The when Benny's being yeah. chased by the dog, and it's for, it's interspersed with the black and white werewolf scene that's occurring <laughs> on film somewhere else, and it's the Founder's Day hijinks, and he has Founders to like, leap over a table, and two bakers like have to catch a cake, and then the cake falls on them, and they just sort of look at each other like wah, wah. I was like, this is very uh, kid humor, like very. Mm. It turns into Home Alone. Very kid slapstick, and I was like, now we've moved the target audience from like horny adult man to like <laughs> a young kid who's amused by cake falling on bakers so grown men who are horny for <laughs> cake antics this might be like, where I cake sitting originated it. actually <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but yeah no it gets very elaborate just them setting up this whole oh, now we got this cake and then well they, I didn't realize that the the ball retrieval took more than one day but looking back at my notes I have a note about, you know, exploding vacuums, blowing up the treehouse, <laughs> and then Babe Ruth appears to In Benny, a dream, to Benny. In a dream, in a sweet dream. Or a, a ghost dream. nightmare. He's smoking a cigar inside the house, <laughs> and he says, literally, I heard you're in a pickle, <laughs> and then delivers platitude upon platitude to Benny, and tells him, like, by the way, you're only 12, but this is the greatest moment in your life. Which is a hell of a thing to say to somebody and like sort of foreshadows the rest of the film, which is like that none of them are going to grow up at all or mature from where they are right now. Like this is their peak, which is pretty depressing. I think it's supposed to be more like, um, and I'm thinking of Back to the Future again, uh, just like this is the thing that kind of defines where your characteristics will like spin off from. Like if Benny didn't get the courage to go find the ball, then he'd turn into a completely different person, probably not play baseball at all. Uh, and I'm thinking, like, in Back to the Future, there's a whole thing about, like, the dad has to kiss the mom or some bullshit. Um, but yeah, I don't think it's supposed to be, like, this is the most amazing thing he's ever done, because obviously he went on to win a bunch of games or something, presumably. But it's, like, this is the thing that got the courage to, like, make him a man or some bullshit. I also got the sense that he's supposed to be a little older than the other kids. Oh, yeah, I think he's probably plus or minus a few years. Like, the fifth grade might be the average age. Because everybody looks up to him. Like, he's the crowning achievement of these kids, essentially. <laughs> um, and I did like when they showed Babe Ruth, they had this cool, like, staticky black and white flickering effect. And I was like, wow, that's actually a pretty good effect for this movie. <laughs> well, I just want to say another, like, interpretation is maybe, like, Babe Ruth's spirit or ghost is, like possessing this kids. ball maybe these kids are ghosts <laughs> maybe everyone in the movie is a ghost <laughs> and that's why they won't age yes, they're just stuck they're like the others i don't know <laughs> huh, okay they get stuck in the cycle of having to get the ball back it's an american horror story oh my god this american horror story the sandlot and then the thing he that Babe Ruth says to benny that uh inspires him ultimately is he says legends never die and then he fades off 
Uh, and there's this weird thing with shoe culture too, because then Benny has to get this fresh pair of PF flyers. Like they have this whole like fetishistic, like him putting on the ultimate running shoes. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> get this. Yeah, that was weird. Wait, but what did, did Babe Ruth want something from His him? soul. Did he tra- oh no, he <laughs> His young, he young. A- Wait, what? I don't know. <laughs> he his wanted semen. His <laughs> um. Yeah, he, like, made a demon trade, I'm pretty sure. Like, a Faustian deal or something. <laughs> hmm. You're like, what's Babe's Ruth's percentage? What's his vig? What's he getting out of this? Oh, no, I thought in the dream he takes something, like a trading card. Oh, he does take something. Yeah, you're right. That's creepy. Yo. <laughs> so now they have the Ghostbusters come back, and they're like, we're going to roast this ass. Wait, did he also leave something? I think they did a trade, yeah. I think- yeah. He said, I don't know why, but can I have this kid? And he takes a... Oh my god, wait, is that the card of James Earl Jones? No, I don't know. And he wakes up, his pillow's gone. <laughs> bum, bum, bum. He takes Hen- Henry Aaron's card. Oh, Hank Aaron, yeah. Hank Aaron, okay. I think he just gives him the pickle idea in return and takes the card. He gives him a pickle in return. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Maybe he just gives him the idea, basically. Yeah, I think he trades the idea for the card. It's a, yeah, <laughs> or his soul. One of those. One of those. <laughs> so there are some great stunt work with this dog. Um, they have some good, cool point of view shots of him jumping through the Wolfman movie screen. All the kids freaking out. I love this dog ma- English Mastiff actor or whatever the fuck was amazing. Yeah, this is some incredible dog acting by this dog actor, and I really hope this was a union dog. <laughs> was he a Beethoven? Or uh, I think we, one of us thought maybe. No, that's um, that's a Saint Bernard. Saint Bernard, yes. yes Saint yes. Bernard. Yeah, this is this one has lots of drooling jowls. I guess I was just thinking because this guy also directed uh, Beethoven three and four, so it's like Beethoven. maybe he's <laughs> yeah. into these dogs. He loves dog actors. They just end up back at the junkyard. Um, he just like ran around in a circle, I guess. And then they knock down the fence and the fence lands on the dog, which is like, oh no. Um, but then they earn the dog's friendship by saving him. Oh my God, him. that was sad. I guess it's supposed to be like that myth about like the mouse pulling the thorn out of the lion's paw. Okay, so what was the dog's deal? Basically, the dog was chained up in the backyard this whole time and would just bark and try to play with, I guess, anything that came over the fence, any balls or anything, you would grab it. He's, like, lonely. Um, He's, like, the boy. Yeah, so I think they misinterpreted the dog, right? That was the whole point. And then I think what it is sometimes is if you're just, like, running, like, they kept running around, the dog is going to chase you to play. (laughs) But then because he's such a huge dog, like, mastiffs are, like, huge. Um, If he jumped on you or something, it'd be scary. So they're probably just freaking out. But as soon as... They stopped running, like the dog was trapped under the fence, and then they all stopped running. Then the dog was fine. So I think it had to do with them being a moving target. No, you're wrong. It was a demon dog that ate balls. (laughs) And they pickled him. Yeah, I felt bad for the chained up dog. Yeah, but then um, the dog ends up giving them back all of the balls that have been hit over the fence. And they say, and I quote, now we can play forever. (laughs) Forever. (laughs) forever <laughs> um james earl jones appears darth vader himself and says why didn't you just knock on the door and everyone's like oh. <laughs> the, the question on all of our minds 
Yeah, we learned that Mr. Myrtle is also a grown man with a trophy room. As we <laughs> a trophy <discussed>. house. <laughs> a trophy house. <laughs> we learned that he went blind from a fastball head injury, presumably in the days before there was personal protective equipment employed to prevent such <laughs> things. He delivers an ominous line, which he says, you know, baseball was life, but implies mm. that since then it's been taken away. But the main characters do not heed this warning. And they just set baseball as the crux of their own lives. With <laughs> Smalls true. as a commentator and Benny as a player. They're like, nah, that, that won't happen to us. Baseball will be good to us. Which hmm. maybe is a reasonable bet if Babe Ruth has appeared to you in a dream. <laughs> Not a bad sign. Hey, that is fucked up. They didn't learn the lesson at all. <laughs> nope, they learned nothing. <laughs> Doesn't, um, they're definitely playing with, like, the magical black man trope at the end. Oh, absolutely. Doesn't he, like... He, like, looks at one of the boys, even though he can't see, and he's like, I feel something's troubling you. Right, I, yeah. I just know it. <laughs> and he just somehow... He's like, come on in. Let me help you out in this in your time of need right before your stepdad beats you again with, to give you a black eye right. or whatever's going on. <laughs> Sorry. Yep. Yeah. So of all these balls in his house and of his trophy house, he has among his things that uh, the ball signed by the Yankees murderers row, you know, the famed team from the late 20s, I guess. It was signed by a murderers row and also the Yankees. <laughs> which is allegedly better than a ball signed by just Babe Ruth, which was the one that was partially destroyed by the dog. So hmm. while Bill is mad at him a little bit for taking his Babe Ruth ball, number one, quick digression. He didn't even, like, explain to his kid who Babe Ruth was or the importance of this ball. So how, right. you, how are you going to be mad that, like, the kid takes it to play baseball? The thing that you were trying to encourage him to do. Anyway. Yeah, it's so, the dad's fault. So he only gets he only gets grounded for, like, a week or something. And his stepdad is now proud of him, maybe. Their relationship is fixed. He now calls Bill dad. Inexplicably. And they can play catch in the yard. So somehow their relationship, which was, you know, frosty at best before this incident, is now resolved. Bill sees that the son was sired by Benny, who's a man now, due to his <laughs> adventures. And therefore, the son is somehow more of a man, but still not all the way a man. Somewhere below a man and somewhere above But a above girl. the mother. <laughs> Because the next step is to get your beard wife. Right. That's when you're a yes. full man. Like, his dad, like Dennis Leary. I guess it turns into some sad 60s film where he has to repress his homosexuality or something. <laughs> oh, no. I can't believe this was the prequel to Brokeback Mountain. <laughs> um, but yeah, I have no idea why that would have fixed their relationship. I guess he's just like, uh, oh, now my son actually does sport ball. So he's cool. Well, I will say then that's interesting that I, um, I didn't realize. Yeah, Babe Ruth took the Hank Aaron card. And also they're saying Babe Ruth played with uh, Mr. Myrtle or whatever. Um, and so I think it's almost like they're, I mean, in some ways it's nice that they're trying to be inclusive. But on the other hand, they're kind of just rewriting American history a little right. bit and making this Americana just seem like so nice. And everyone just gets got along back in the day. <laughs> it's hard to say. I feel like if you're on the athletics team, you probably would have some sort of camaraderie. But yeah, you're probably right. It's probably just like super racist and nobody talked to each other. Well, it's totally, I mean, it's possible Babe Ruth was a, a great guy or whatever, but I just mean, like, the movie just is overall just, like, let's just fuzz over, we'll just make this part a little fuzzy. Everyone was friends. I mean, it's a kid's movie, yeah. too, so they probably won't talk about the real complexities yeah. of life. Mm-hmm. So how old is that in dog years? 
199 years. Wait, what did, when was it established how long he lived? What did they actually say? That was in the whole, like, uh, post-credits, like, mm. this is what everyone ended up doing. Yeah, it's like they do all the kids, and then they do the dog fading away or whatever. He lived to be 199 in dog years. The dog is almost 30 years old. He's 28.42 years old. Okay, that's impossible. And then also, apparently, yeah, the one dog year to seven human years is not real. Plus, plus a large dog would not live longer than another type of dog. It would live shorter because it's so big and his heart has pumped blood. Yeah, apparently mastiffs are the biggest dogs i just looked it up like they're bigger than wolves wait who said that they wrote down what the like post credit stuff said erica okay, do you have any good ones I wrote, that, I wrote it down it says yeah yeah's parents shipped him off to military school and after the army he pioneered bungee jumping so he was the, the only reason i knew he was the bungee jumping kid was because of that oh that's right one of the kids is actually sent down with a bungee cord to get the ball <laughs> he tries to get the ball but it breaks or something <laughs> Um, Bertram got really into the 60s. No one ever saw him again. So he got into more than just chewing tobacco. Which one was Bertram? Did um, he have any characteristics? No. He had glasses, which okay. he, I, I always confused him with squints because of the glasses. Yeah, that's all he did was he had glasses and then they said one thing about him at the end. And that's it. Okay. Timmy and Tommy became an architect and a contractor. They started out small designing playground equipment and prefabricated tree houses. So that was their thing. Um, but they became multi-millionaires when they invented the invented mini malls or something. Amazing. Uh, so yeah, so their defining characteristics was that they had the treehouse that exploded. So somehow <laughs> so that was their whole business life. minded. I don't know architecture. Um, Squints married Wendy Peppercorn. They had nine kids and bought Vincent's drugstore and still own it to this day. Denunez played triple A ball. Um, but not never got to the majors. So I guess that's the minor leagues. Mm. I don't know what that is. It's like the highest minor leagues, I guess. Right. Is that true? Okay. Yeah. Um, he won, He owns his own business now, and he coaches a little league team that his sons play on called the Heaters. So that's his oh. one trick. <laughs> Great. Um, and then Hercules lived to be 199 years old in dog years. And then Benny, after Benny pickled the beast, his reputation spread all over town. And from then on, he was known as Benny the Jet. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and that name stuck with him to the present day, which is where they show in the 90s, Benny's like hitting a home run or something while Smalls is in the press box. And that's not based on a real baseball player, is it? I don't know. They had some actual footage of people playing baseball. Let's see. Okay, it's not. For some reason, when I saw the movie, I thought, oh, they're connecting it to some real baseball player, but I guess it's just random. Oh, wait, I forgot about the great Hambino. <laughs> <laughs> Hamilton Porter became a professional wrestler, the great Hambino. Checks out. But yeah, Rachel, whoever said it earlier, it's not like when you're 10 years old, you have like one characteristic, and that characteristic is like what your entire rest of your life is centered around. Like, everyone has multiple layers. It's not like... What if we were all doomed to be who we were at age 10 through 12? Oh, my horrible. God. I think I am. No. <laughs> oh, no. Hey, don't get out of line for this field trip. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess, yeah, this is some serious determinism for these people. Like, where they are is just defined by whatever one characteristic they had in this film, The Sandlot. And just... <laughs> 
baseball continues to be the defining characteristic for, I guess, the Nunes, but primarily also Benny the Jet, who is playing baseball, and Smalls, who hasn't seen doesn't seem to have grown at all. He's still wearing his nerd hat when he's commenting. Seems like a virgin. (laughs) (laughs) And looks like somebody who's never gotten it in, yeah. Um, And then, yeah, so I I think maybe we mentioned this uh, while we were watching the movie, but just, like, how they are just so bolstered by meeting their neighbor who play, literally played with Babe Ruth and is supposed to be as good as Babe Ruth or whatever, but, like, they no never... Did he hang out with him? They never followed up with him? Did he go to his house every week and have tea or, like... Well, no, they made a they made a compromise. They said, all right, you'll have this ball, but in turn, you have to come back here every week and tell me about your adventures. Oh, he did say every week. Okay, I thought it was just one time. All right, yeah, so presumably they go... We keep going every day after school until he dies. Or whatever happens in the Sandlot, too. <laughs> <laughs> that's the follow-up to watch. They're like mr merkel died of pancreatic cancer <laughs> <laughs> the dog got even worse than that oh no nobody ever knew why the dog was named hercules <laughs> <laughs> i was reading some kind of interesting trivia which apparently this guy got a million dollars each for the screenplay for the sandlot and uh, another movie he made called radio flyer which i think was similarly like kid-centric but then after the sandlot he never really had another success like everything is just like the terrible movies I mentioned at the top. And then Ace Ventura Jr. is just like last major film. Huh. I guess he got big into the 90s and nobody ever heard from him again. <laughs> yeah, well, if you may, I don't know, you could live off of a million dollars. Oh, yeah. I mean. <laughs> Wait, so why was Babe Ruth called the Great Bambino? <laughs> it's just like all these vaguely ethnic. Um... He's a t- Is he Italian? Yeah, I think so. He was George Herman Ruth, uh, the Bambino, and the Sultan of Swat. Oh, you're right. It's vaguely, like, appropriative or whatever. We gotta imagine it was, like, the 20s when he was active, so it's, like, whatever cultural appropriation had been called back then. Mm-hmm. Well, as for, like, lessons from this movie, what did you get? What is the overall message, do you think, of this movie? Don't sexually assault women. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a big one. <laughs> Talk to your neighbors. <laughs> If you have, you need something. Or... Yeah, knock on their door and say hello <laughs> instead of building them up. Go into engineering and not what you were into when you were 10, unless it was engineering. <laughs> yeah, whoever you are when you're 12 is who you're going to be for the rest of your life. <laughs> it's a Stephen King horror story, actually. I actually think that it is kind of like, and it's like you can't escape it. It's like a time loop because it's like every 30 years, maybe the same thing happens. And just, it got me thinking about how like, um... Mr. Myrtle had could have had like an equivalently good career to Babe Ruth um and yet you know he just by random chance got lost his career but like Benny they put his life on the line to be potentially mauled to death by a dog so he could have <laughs> lost his whole career that's true. On, I, think, baseball. I feel like he makes the decision they're not like pushing him into it that no that's true you're right yeah they're all kind of begging him not to do it right yeah, you're They're right. very concerned yeah. for him. Right. They're all making expressions at the camera one at a time. <laughs> Benny, you're no. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to do what? Yeah, I guess he doesn't realize the gravity of what he's doing maybe is like he anyways, just the the tenuous nature of um talent or something, I don't know. 
Maybe just relying on your talent. Maybe just that the '60s weren't all they were built up to be. Don't let these movies lie to you. And sure, kids have it just as good now, but they just play esports or something. (laughs) Yeah, baseball is the the great thread that ties together American masculinity through the decades. Mm. Baseball is life. (laughs) (laughs) Now we can play forever. Oh God, I think that is actually the guy. Like that would be the director's message. Baseball is the thread. Of Americana. (laughs) I think Ken Burns said it better. (laughs) I do remember this article I read over the pandemic, which was just that like 80% of male friendships are based on talking about sports. So then when all the sports stuff shut down, it threw everyone into a frenzy. Yeah, you know, I love, well, I don't love, but I often find myself contemplating male loneliness and just like how, (laughs) how sad and lonely a lot of men are. And how, like, yeah, sports is the only thing that provides any solace in this cruel world for me- mm. <laughs> for many men. Which is... Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm glad they have sports, but... <laughs> <laughs> no, they can't have sports. But what happens when baseball is taken away from you, you know? What happens when Biden's squads go from town to town shutting down all the n- sports leagues? Yeah, feeding everybody's sports balls to Mastiff dogs. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Well, yeah, because it's like even in the present day, um, the thing that kept Benny and what's his face Small's friends was just that their careers depend <laughs> centered around baseball. And so, was he even really friends with any of the other kids? Like they just needed him as the extra player. So it's almost like men's relationships are relying on these circumstances to bring them together. But then when they're yeah, when that's gone, what were they ever really friends or will they keep hanging out? Well, I think it's also just trying to capture that sort of bittersweet thing of when you're a kid, like you have these like sort of fleeting friendships and maybe people go off and never see them again, especially before the internet, I guess. Okay, well, I just want to say then that that feels inaccurate because let's be real, all the kids in the neighborhood tended to be a little weird and they were like not the people I would have kept in touch with in yes. school. It's a big lie. It's like the odds of actually living near people you ended up um, like keeping in touch with your entire life was pretty low. Like having your neighbor across the street be someone that you still know into uh, adulthood. Mm-hmm. I'm also reading, again, this is just from the Wikipedia. I'm not doing any fancy research, but uh, apparently there was some sort of lawsuit because somebody had a name that, in real life that was almost exactly like the guy uh, they called Squints in the movie. And he just got picked <laughs> on a lot throughout school. So he decided to sue the company that made this movie. <laughs> Wait, what? I guess he was just sick of people picking on him or calling him Squints or whatever because he has almost the exact same name as the character in the movie. Mm. Yeah, he's got a very similar last name. And said that... (laughs) Yeah, he was a childhood classmate of the director. Claims that the character was derogatory and caused him shame and humiliation. Wow. Wow. Well, just to compare the two. So his name is Michael Polydoros. And then in the movie, it's michael paliodorus so it is basically uh, like remarkably the similar yeah yeah <laughs> he just stole- so the director took his kid's friend's name and turned him into a character in a no movie? no no his his friend when he was when they were both kids he stole his life oh my god he stole his you can't do that to your <laughs> people you know you have to change their likenesses he decided to just like savagely dunk on this guy as an adult <laughs> <laughs> maybe he was a dick 
wait, that's the actual narrator's like perspective. He's like, we were all buds. He was actually like a dick to all of us. So his I friends. took all their names down in my book and I made <laughs> yeah. sure I get even with them I growing up. Stole, <laughs> I stole all their identities and traded them with the demon. Looking back, that was the best summer of ideas. my life. <laughs> oh, no. I traded names for the script. And then um, this movie was made for about $7 million, but it made $34 million. So it's definitely a huge success. Um, but then it also was technically considered a cult classic for some reason. Uh, I was just looking at that. And I don't know like what the, the cult following for this film would be other than just like, it seems to have a very dedicated fan base where people like look back on it fondly as part of their childhood. I think it's just the, uh, the whole thing about like the way home media was going in the early nineties. Like they got VHS, uh, so everyone could just have little videotapes at home. And then also they probably just showed it a bunch on TV. Right, and that would explain, you know, familiarity with it, but I think about cult classic films as, like, having a subculture associated with them, or having specific activities, or styles, or anything. They're called lotters, and they meet every <laughs> summer, and they're baseball pitches, and recreate the events of the film. I don't know. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, I think, again, it's probably people just projecting themselves into their childhood that they imagine happened in the 60s. Well, I think movies like um, this get played in schools, like yeah. when you have a substitute teacher and stuff, because it's like approved. It's probably like right. PG rating. There's or nothing like offensive about it, really. There's nothing offensive <laughs> about it. <laughs> it's like, well, yeah, I mean, obviously, the pool scene. No, just that the schools are like, oh, this assault is fine. They're like, hmm, good <laughs> message. Totally... Yeah. Trick people. But I guess, <laughs> like, yeah, then it's. It reminds me of um, Grease, like that was always played in like music class and stuff. And now people are just like, oh, I remember that. And and if you remember it, for some reason, they remember it fondly. Just like having any memory, like companies, I feel like nowadays are really good at like marketing the nostalgia, making money off of the nostalgia. So it's like real people are just easily convinced by things that they've already established that like they know or something. I don't know. Nostalgia is a hell of a drug. It is. It really is. I got into trying to figure out why the 1927 team was called Murderer's Row. Uh, I think it was probably just their best team, like, in history. It, it says the term mimicked the name applied to a section of the Tombs Prison in New York City. I have no idea what that means. Oh, that's what I was talking about earlier. It's, like, literally, like, where people went to wait to get executed. Oh, my God. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, that would make more, like, thematic aesthetic sense or whatever than a baseball team, but is it just because they murdered the competition? Yep. Wow. Just like the heater, they're heating up the balls. <laughs> yeah, no one who knows sports should listen to the, listen to us talk about this. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, sorry, this reminds me, actually, the very beginning of the movie, I should have brought this up earlier, he ex the narrator a guy Smalls explains there is one all time greatest moment in the history of sports and it's like Babe Ruth points to somewhere in the stands and then he hits the ball there, and I'm like w did that I guess that actually happened but why is that the greatest moment in sports I'm at a loss because of physics because you presumably wouldn't know where you're gonna hit a ball and be able to like accurately predict it. Oh, like when you hit a ball, yeah, you're just like, like, no guessing, like I hope this goes the direction I want it to go. Yeah, especially if you don't know how the pitcher is going to pitch to you. Presumably, if you knew how the ball was going to come in and you were an expert baseball player, you'd have a pretty good guess about where it would go. 
But if you don't know what's going to be thrown to you, just to be like, I'm about, I'm about to fucking wreck this. And in that, <laughs> and in that particular spot, yeah, that'd be dope. It's a squint spitball special. Hmm. It's just about like having a big ego and being boisterous and being like, I'm the best of all time. I'm the goat. He's the best pickler of all time. <laughs> Benny the Pickler Rodriguez. Sorry. <laughs> okay, anything else about this movie? It's like pretty thin, so there's not really that much to talk about because it's just a kid's movie. I'll definitely say I did enjoy watching it back when I was a kid, but again, I think it just has like those few set pieces that we touched on and like a few memorable moments that are funny, but yeah, it's obviously not that great a film. Yeah, I literally didn't know until you guys were talking about that the Killing Me Smalls came from this movie. I just like wrote this out of my memory, basically wrote it off. Yeah, for whatever reason, some that we've mentioned, just like the nostalgia, the VHS things, the schools playing it all the time. I guess a lot of kids were just exposed to it and just have it in their minds. Lives for free in their minds. Yeah, it's definitely taken up some real estate in my mind, I guess, before I watched it with you all and subsequently. And also, you know, I had been saying, you're you're killing me, Smalls. Uh, the key phrase, like, provenance unknown. Right, yes, that's what made me want to do this to begin with. <laughs> Sorry, we should have said that to begin with uh, at the beginning of this podcast. Yeah, the whole reason I wanted to do The Sandlot was because I re- recently realized that uh, I thought Rachel hadn't seen this movie before, even though the whole time I thought she had, because she kept referencing that. Yeah, I kept saying, you're killing me, Smalls. <laughs> and I was like, okay, so obviously she's a plot, she's a Sandlot fan. Which, a lotter. Yeah, I didn't realize. I thought it was in reference to a small person or a big person, which would also be a joke, I guess. But it turned out <laughs> to be neither. Just an average sized person is named Smalls. Right. Yes. And now we've done this wonderful podcast. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I will just say that it's a fairly well paced film, just that it didn't like really get bogged down. It's just like, again, very episodic, very much like uh, a Christmas story or whatever. Just like you move from set piece to set piece. Okay, well, I was just going to summarize it by saying none of us could figure out what that meant, but we were all amazed by it. <laughs> <laughs> How do you pickle somebody? Oh, <laughs> I'll show you. <laughs> wow. I, yeah, I can't top that. All right. Uh, well, thank you again for joining us, Dr. Rachel. We really enjoyed talking to you about this movie. Absolutely. Thank you for the invitation and for the, the delight of watching The Sandlot for at least the second time in my life. <laughs> second of many more <laughs> looking now back now you're a, a lifelong lotter and you're gonna go cosplay. looking back watching the sandlot this summer was the best summer of my life <laughs> the vhs tape went on to some landfill <laughs> we never saw it again did you guys ever think about that like when you were a kid like what would your rest of life thing be i sometimes did just because i always had them in cheesy movies like this like pablo went off to war i wondered what my <laughs> job know. would be but oh, you that, mean, <laughs> not you that mean, like the thing in the credits when they're like yeah like animal house like so and so went on to jerky malone <laughs> to become the supreme court justice <laughs> no i never thought <laughs> all right good <laughs> just me <laughs> All right, great. Well, it's been awesome talking to you all for this yes. episode of Sin Amazing Chats. I'm from Pablo. Oh, it's Erica. Wait, do I say anything? Yeah. <laughs>
Okay, signing off. This is Erica. <laughs> All right, it's been a pickle. This is Rachel. All right.